I don't know whether it's because Pep is in his seventh season and I've sort of stopped looking for interesting trends because I just think the seasons end up playing out in a very, very similar way. Yeah. Um, it, So I, well, no, I just, I, I just presumed I was making, making such a profound point that the BBC felt <laughs> that it was, it was worthy of breaking news. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club, and this is your show. If you're going to drop points a little unexpectedly, at least do it early in the season and on a weekend when the teams around you also do the same. Sure, things could have been a lot better had City beat Aston Villa on Saturday, but equally things could have been a hell of a lot worse as well. That was all forgotten on Tuesday night too, as City opened their Champions League group campaign with a comfortable 4-0 win in Sevilla. The goalbot scored another three this week, albeit across two games, and it looks like the understanding between Haaland and the rest of the team is beginning to notch up a few more levels. And that brings us to the coming week. The only two unbeaten teams left in the Premier League go head to ahead on Saturday night as Tottenham visit the Etihad. It's not been comfortable viewing against Spurs recently, so will this be the weekend where that changes? Or is City going to have to really dig in deep against a team with wind in their sails? We'll look ahead to that game and to the next Champions League tie as City also hosts Borussia Dortmund later in the week. I'm David Mooney. With me this week is the Daily Mail's Jack Gorn. Hello, you alright? Not too bad, thanks Jack. And the Guardians will and win. Hi Will. Hi everyone. So, uh, Will, let's start with, um, I, I want to start with kind of like the control of games that City have had this season, because I'm wondering, I mean, first off, gut instinct, are City controlling games less this season than they were last season, for instance? I think there's less of a desire to control them in the same style that they did last season, where obviously without the number nine that has been noted by a few people City have signed over the summer. There was yeah, I kind of went, kind of went under bit, the radar a bit, that didn't it? <laughs> yeah, so I, I think they they were more comfortable spending a lot of time on the ball. Whereas actually, what makes Haaland so good is that he reacts to everything so quickly, and that changes the game in a second. Whereas things in recent times, I would say the build-up was slower, waiting to pick those gaps. Whereas now they know where Haaland's going to be, and the whole point is that you have to do it quickly so no one spots him. Um, so I think it's just a change in dynamic. You know, if you look at the game against Villa, Villa have one shot on target. So that's a sign that you are controlling the game in a in a manner. Um, I think it's just a slightly different style to make the most of Haaland's impacts because if you are going to have a man that can score 18 goals a game, you've got to play to his strengths and that's what City do to, you know, change the dynamic a bit quicker than they have done in recent times. Yeah, Jack. I'm just wondering is is there a difference maybe in in like the peaks and troughs in games? In that City's peaks this season are a lot higher than they were um, previously, but maybe the the troughs are a bit lower as well. Uh, well, first things first. Will's wrong. They didn't have one shot on target. Villa. They had two, which was cruelly disallowed. I, mean, <laughs> I can't believe that. Speak that to my lawyer. Despite despite 21 players on the pitch stopping. Um, I'm, sen- really. I'm sensing a little, little bit of sarcasm there from you, mate. Well, you know, I've been on this long enough. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I think I don't know. I, I'm not sure anything has really changed. Like they've had the harem scaring games at Newcastle before. Palace always, um, Palace always sort of give them a bloody nose, don't they? Uh, and Villa have given them problems before as well. And those are the sort of 
three games that you would look at this season so far that is like, oh, they've not got a mass, they're not in control of it all. But I don't think that's any really that much different to to previous seasons. I don't know whether it's because Pep is in his seventh season and I've sort of stopped looking at stop looking for interesting trends because I just think the seasons end up playing out in a very, very similar way. Yeah. Sort of speaking to what Will was saying really about the, the Haaland aspect of it. I, I just think they play um, more vertically, don't they? They play more vertical in that they just want to, they just want to find him quicker, which is, is a slightly different way of playing, but it is the way you have to, you have to go about it. If, teams are still defending deep you've got to play the ball quicker to catch them off guard so there's, I think there's going to be a lot of a lot of times this year where there are going to be quite a lot of misplaced passes we've seen it already which is just sort of a it's a different way of trying to beat these teams with that man um standing up front and I mean yeah I just like you just look at look at his his first goal on on Tuesday night, not too dissimilar to what you would expect a, a city attack to, to how they would engineer a chance. Really, it's just now they've got someone to stick it in every time. Yeah, um, I'm ju- just on kind of like momentum. Will um, a city a, a city better at getting it back, but maybe worse at holding it at the moment? Because I'm thinking like against Villa, for instance, they. It, it, they they really had to wrestle to get it in the first instance. They went one 0 up. They probably should have gone two or three 0 up in that period. But as soon as as soon as Villa equalised, they again found it really hard to kind of wrestle with it again. I think the fact that that as say everything seems to go back to Haaland. I don't know why, but um, I think the fact City want to move forward quicker than in previous years. That again, it looks like the control of the game slightly different. But at the same time, you can change the dynamic a lot quicker and that's what they're doing. And they're able to sort of, if they do have a problem, they can look to go forward quicker and that puts the opposition on the back foot. Whereas a lot of time previously, however good City were, the build-up play would be a little bit slower and a little bit more thoughtful maybe than before. And so I think that's why it's helping them get them back going forward quicker. I think I'd argue at the moment they're worse at holding teams because the back four is a bit flawed. Yeah. Stones is, for me, having some issues. Um, hence, probably why they went for a fifth centre-back in the window, which is not what anyone predicted. Um, and, yeah, I think because they've got weaknesses that people can see that they can be targeted. And, you know, at the Premier League, <laughs> at the top table, you know, teams will target those areas and that's what's happening to City. Yeah, was it a worry, Will, that that one nil didn't become two nil against Villa? Because uh, like it, it really should have done. The chances that they, that they had were there to be to be taken. Then obviously Villa go up and score with with what is effectively the first real chance of the game. It's obviously a worry, but you know, over a thirty eight game league season, these games are going to happen. You know, I, I think <laughs> my favourite moment was Erling Haaland lambasting Carl Walker for shooting in the first half. <laughs> so the chances were there. It's not. If you're not creating chances, yeah, that's a worry. If you're creating chances of missing, it's not great, but that's... It's less, less of a worry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's just... These games happen, unfortunately, for City. Um, but then other games, they'll, you know, they'll hit six against your forests of the world. So, yeah, nothing to, nothing to concern people. 
Yeah, because I mean, the other side of this is is uh, Jack that we we talk about a worry that one 0 didn't become two 0 It did in Seville, and like they seemed so much more in control of the game. They just took the chances. That's maybe the difference. Yeah, but I, at half time in Seville, I was thinking, I unfortunately judge football by how quick, how soon I could start writing a match report on a night game, <laughs> and it won't be ruined by what happens on the pitch. And at half time, I was a little bit like, well. Seville had a couple of moments, certainly earlier on in the game, where they did put City under a little bit of pressure. And then City didn't really um, convert their dominance. And I was a bit like, well, again, a little bit like the Villa game, really. That, that All right, they've only scored one. And that you think, oh, well, it could be, could be in the balance if Seville come out um, all guns blazing after half-time. But... The big thing was to get a second early, and then once they do that, then they're never going to give a game up, are they? Yeah, yeah. Because they're so good at just taking sting out of it. Um, but it, yeah, it was good to see him keep going. Really, the other night. I mean, the other, the other caveat for that is Seville are absolutely pony. They are rubbish. That's I think the average age of the starting eleven was like thirty as well. They just you can't. I don't think you can really learn a great deal from from what happened there. From what happened, really, no. Yeah, I mean, I mean it was it was mad at the end of the game as well. I don't know whether the telly's uh, the television picked it up, but the ultras behind one goal do a just the handkerchiefs. Do a, like it was a proper din. Just the the discontent within the ground at the, the Seville's performance, and the players went went over to to that that part of the ground and just stared the ultras in the face, <laughs> and it was really like it was really uncomfortable. It, it almost got quite nasty. That's interesting because um, a friend of mine was uh, who isn't a City fan was there in the Seville end and said even though it was in Spanish, there is something kind of like universally football about the song You're Not Fit to Wear the Shirt. Yeah. <laughs> that was exactly it, yeah. It was the same tune. Yeah. Um, I, I thought City's work rate in Seville was a lot, seemed a lot higher, Will. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's just the illusion of, of having come away with a 4-0 win and, and that everything... Just seemed to, or maybe that, like Jack says, Seville were not not as uh, not as up to it as Villa, but like it, it certainly felt like City were working a lot harder off the ball. I think it probably <laughs> proves how poor Seville were. They just, I don't, I think just City's athleticism and whatnot was far superior in it. And the fact that they say lots of thirty-year-old men getting battered by Erling Haaland. I don't think they were up for it. I think just on the pitch, it was exacerbated you know, by what they were facing. The Premier League team, you know, high on confidence against a the league team who was struggling. The manager was about to get sacked. The players, obviously, and the fans aren't getting on because they're so terrible. And I just, you know, I don't, I don't, obviously, I don't think many teams can cope with City's physicality and athleticism on the day, but yeah, severe, severe, just nowhere near it. Yeah, you're not you know, up to sort it. of walking football, especially in the second half and hoping for the best. But yeah, City are far, far better when it comes to the running stats anyway. Yeah. Um, Jack's already mentioned it, Will, the uh, the controversy over the uh, Coutinho goal that wasn't given. Um, 
Oh my God, are we doing this? Yeah, we're going to do it. Uh, The explanation uh, is, uh, it's really rather simple. Uh, It can't stand because, and it's not a VAR issue, because uh, the referee stopped the game before he shot. So the assistant raised his flag um, because he moved away from the goal, as that is the directive now. Um, Mares stopped closing him down. Edison pulled out of attempting the save. Um, So whether or not he's onside, you can't go back and award the goal. Um, Ultimately, do you think City were just a little bit lucky that the referee did that, Will? Wonder if I can be any more sarcastic than Jack on this one. <laughs> Everyone stopped. There's so many variables involved when the whistle goes and people stop in. Fight, yeah, it's a great finish. I'd be really proud of myself if I scored that kicking a ball around in the park. But, you know, everyone had stopped. Edison sort of put his hand somewhere near the ball at the time. It was coming towards him. Mares was lighting a fag. Um, you know, John Stones was jogging back to the net to see if you can find a water ball. There's so many variables. It's, you know, it's not a goal. shouldn't be a goal. Fair play to Coutinho for having the ability to sh- shoot a ball like that because none, none, of, none of us will ever do that. Uh, anything else? Well, right, right, just the, the do, un- do we want a contrary opinion to Jack? No, we no, no. Well. No, we, we, we don't have to. We don't have to enforce balance. That's not how it works. Um, oh, the the only the only thing is, Jack. Um, I do think, like in all of this, this is what people have been asking for. You know, the, the people have been asking for the flag to go up quicker, and it went up quicker, and it was wrong, and that's it. It's, it's as simple as that. The, the number of times where I've had, where you've seen this discussion every time that uh, a player is offside, and you get the pundits afterwards saying, "Well, why why can't they just raise the flag?" There's your answer. Yeah, I mean, it was very obviously a very marginal call. It was a bit, it was a bit odd that he he flung it up straight away. Um, but you're going to get whether it's linesman flagging quickly or whether it goes to VAR, you're still going to get human error either yeah. way. Yeah. Um, the amount of times they've got things wrong on VAR once they've looked at it, at Stanley Park's incredible. So, um, it's just I don't know. Yeah, we talk, we talked about this quite a lot before on here, haven't we? And I just I don't like VAR. I'd rather just have human error as part of the game, which was which had been fine for for so long, decades and decades before. So, yeah. Um, let's look at uh, Erling Haaland, Will, because it's uh, as we've been saying earlier on, it's difficult to say much more about him. Um, the only thing really is, I'm wondering. Like, uh, it looks like things are, are really starting to click now. The number of times that De Bruyne and, and Foden, especially, keep finding him in the in those areas. Like it's it's the sort of thing that you know, first couple of games of the season we were going well. Just wait until they start finding him, and now they are. Yeah, well, it started on the first game, didn't it? You know, West Ham, De Bruyne just learning about how quick he is, and if he puts it somewhere, he'll probably get there. And yeah, that's the biggest change is not for Erling Haaland coming to the Premier League. It's for Man City's players knowing that they have a number nine and how to get it to him. And they, they're the ones that are adapting. Harlan's not doing anything massively different to what he's done before. You know, he can finish from you know, anywhere inside the box and he finds space somehow when no one else would. And yeah, and a few games in, Foden, De Bruyne, everyone knows where he's going to be when they want him to be there. And that's why he's scoring so many goals at such a rate. And hilariously, it's probably only going to get worse for opponents. Yeah. Um, Lineker called it maths on, on Match of the Day, Jack. Um, it, it feels a little bit more than he keeps going into dangerous areas. Do you know what I mean? Uh, in what context did he mean maths? Uh, he just said you keep you keep making the runs to the right places. You keep you keep going to the places where uh, the ball will likely break and you'll get yourself a tap in and you'll get yourself your goals. 
Yeah, it's um, well, I mean, but even even that is so similar to the previous six years under Pep. Written before, it's like trigonometry in it the way City play um, and creating triangles inside the box and being able to work angles or whatever. And that for that to come off, it's reliant on whoever is playing either side of a striker or through the middle to know exactly where they're supposed to be to tap in, which is why they've scored so many of the same goals over the years. Um, just, I mean, I think the fascinating thing about Haaland at the moment is that I get the impression that Pep isn't that bothered about him being involved in a build-up. Yeah. Whereas a couple of the players have said to us, um, Rodri said it the other day, it was like, ah, oh, yeah, it's going to be really good when he, you know, when he learns how we play and he gets more involved and things like that. I'm thinking, I don't think they're that bothered about him getting involved. I mean, there's been ob- this obsession with how many touches he takes and things like that. I, I just think... I, I must admit, the, though, I'm I'm obsessed with that purely because of how many goals he's scoring at the same time because the average number of goals per touch is, like, it's, it's just so tiny. Yeah, but I just think the quality they've got in midfield, or the obvious quality they've got in midfield, out wide and through the, the way they play with the fullbacks means that they don't really need him messing about in the build-up, coming deep. They just need him to occupy defenders. And then if he can take two defenders out of the, out of the game from a, uh, an opposition that's defending really deep, it gives them more space in midfield to then go and find the little um, the little spaces to go and create opportunities. So I don't know. I might be proven wrong. Pep might get him to drop off the front and start linking play and all that sort of stuff. I just don't think they particularly need him to do it. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Just looking at uh, at his numbers, Will, all 12 goals from inside the area, uh, seven of them from inside the six-yard box. That's exactly what City have been missing. Yeah, I should say at this point, I've been to one City game this season, which was the Bournemouth game. And and he, he didn't, he didn't score, score so. yeah. <laughs> I'm there, I'm there on Saturday against Spurs, lads. Can't <laughs> wait. Um, yeah, lovely yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's what he does. He's and he creates space. You know, even you look at you know the the severe goal, the, the second one was it where keeper saves it and he's just stood there with no one around him, just knows where the ball's going to end up. And, it's, and that's the ability he has to see off defenders. You say he occupies defenders. That goal against Bournemouth. He, but he's, he's eight touches against Bournemouth, I think it was. And two of them were controlling the ball and playing it through for the, the goal for Gundogan. Right? You know, he's, he's, whatever he's, whatever he's, don't focus on what he doesn't do, which is like basically what idiots do. He's already had eight touches and he's not scored. Yeah. But he set up a goal and he's <laughs> going to score in all the other matches. Yeah. Idiots just question people who have a few, so few touches. No one cares. Well, the goalkeeper only made one save. So, yeah, he kept a clean sheet, you idiot. Now go <laughs> yeah. The annoying thing, this is really boring, so I do apologise. But the one thing I've learned uh, about touches, because clearly we've all had to look at how many touches he's been having, because that's all anyone's been talking about. Is apparently so you know that goal that Bournemouth the Gundogan goal against Bournemouth, Harland only registered one touch for that, even though he controlled it and then passed it. That only counts as one touch. So actually, the sort of like oh he only had eight touches against Bournemouth is to someone watching it with a naked eye wrong because yeah. apparently you only get one touch for like a phase of play or whatever. 
Well, so if you dribble, that's one touch. I think that, yeah, I think it's like one bit of possession. I did tell you it was Football, boring. Football's I can, dead I can, yeah. I can feel the sort of <laughs> eyes drooping through the... Through the <laughs> yeah, let's talk about the camera. Queen's achievements. Mm, yeah. Um, let's let's look at a couple of other lines from this week. Uh, because I've never Jack, known David um, so unenthusiastic about anything. Uh, well, I, I, I'm just I'm genuinely sitting here thinking, is that going to make the edit? I don't know. Oh, Dave, mate. Dave, Dave, David's, a, David's a goalkeeper. He doesn't care about this sort of thing. Yeah. His stats are... My, well stat, known. my stats are terrible, whatever way you look at them. So it's uh... touches touch outside the box from Mooney zero <laughs> in the past decade. Yeah, touches inside the box from Mooney nearly zero. Um, <laughs> you hit the ball at the net. Yeah, yeah. Uh, a couple of other lines from this week, Jack. Starting off uh, with uh, Phil Foden's form because uh, Guardiola was um, was was quite specific about him after the severe game in saying that you know he's not played well recently but he does this 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 and this and that's why he's been in the team he did play well against Sevilla and it was it it, it was like a huge step up wasn't it yeah I thought he was really good the, the other night um he's got like phone has got had a lot going on like with you know contracts not been not yet been signed and that's there's been quite a lot of stuff going on in the background with him changing agents and things like that uh which does weigh heavy on minds of players sometimes um with the with the game on on tuesday i thought the the trio of him harland and grealish really worked now i i saw on twitter after the match so i wasn't looking at twitter during the game but after there was quite a lot of people criticizing grealish saying that he, he hadn't played that great i was i thought he was absolutely fantastic um and the three of them dovetail really nicely and City looked more symmetrical for it with actual proper fullbacks on either side. And I was I just wondered whether that is the blueprint for the bigger games, in that, that those are going to be the three attackers that play in those specific positions. Yeah. Yeah. Um just looking at the back as well, Will, um Mamala Kanji made his debut. He seemed to again, in inverted commas, it's only severe, but you know, he seemed to slot slot right in. Yeah, nice game to settle into. Yeah. Alongside Diaz, which always helps, and Diaz looks, I think, better than he has done in recent times. Um, yeah, he's you know, he's a good player. He would have ended up in the Premier League, I suspect, one way or another. And if you're a good player that steps up to play for a better team, you're going to get better. And he looks like he's got all the attributes to to play in the big games. You know, from what I've seen down the years, and yeah, you know, he settled in quite nicely. And the more he plays alongside Diaz, you know, again alongside Stones or someone. It's always a bit, a bit suspicious, but yeah, he's he's gonna he's gonna be a decent signing as anyone that turns up at City nowadays, thanks to the level of recruitment they can offer. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's look at the transfers in a bit more depth because uh, the squad overhaul this summer has been one of the biggest that City have gone through for quite some time, perhaps even the biggest in Guardiola's time here. Sam Roscoe has been looking at the ins and outs of the last transfer window. headline of all City summer business was, of course, Erling Haaland. It's nice to be here. I was born in England. I lived there for four years and then I moved to Norway. So uh, it's, it's a good feeling. He arrived from Borussia Dortmund for an absolute bargain price, somewhere in the region of £51 million. And it's the next step up in his career. At his unveiling, he spoke about the path he'd taken to get to City. It was a big step going uh, to Molde from uh, from my hometown club, it was a big step going to Salzburg, Dortmund, uh, and now City. I've been thinking through a lot of things, and uh, every time. So uh, now 
I'm just looking forward to it. If you're ready to sit down doing this now for a long, long time. What? If you're ready to stay at one club for a long time now, whether it's five, ten years or a long Yeah, time. at least I signed a five-year deal, so... Uh, we have to start there. While Haaland was the star attraction that afternoon, there were others also being unveiled to the fans and the press. Julian Alvarez was one of them, and he was asked about having had no rest since joining from River Plate in Argentina. It's true, I've played a, a lot of games recently, but uh, I've been in this situation before and I didn't have any rest and I could perform. I'm really excited and really looking forward to play for this team and I just want to give my 100%. As the window progressed, other players arrived too. With Zach Steffen moving on loan to Middlesbrough, there was a new second goalkeeper joining in Stefan Ortega, coming in on a free transfer. He told City TV his reasons for wanting to join. To get in, in a new country, in a new culture and in the best league of the world. So that was in the, in the package yeah, perfect for me. I know the style of Pep and yeah, I love it to see how Man City play football and I think I have the quality to to show also the performance. Ortega is yet to really feature beyond a few friendlies for City. It's the same for Calvin Phillips, who's had a frustrating time with injuries since joining from Leeds for around 42 million. He spoke about his ambitions at the Etihad. Just wanted to test myself, you know, on the next step again with players, you know, with unbelievable work ethic and you know, an unbelievable manager as well. I think I'm going to learn a lot from not just Pep, but the whole team and you know, even other players that are playing in my position. Those four deals were done early. In fact, both Alvarez and Haaland had agreed everything before the window even opened, and as a result, it felt like things were going well. All this time though, City were chasing Mark Kukurea from Brighton, but that stayed on the back burner as attention turned to the outgoing players. Gabriel Jesus moved to Arsenal for £45 million. Sometimes like this, you know, uh, you have to move on. You have to try something new, you have to try to, to in another place to be happy as well. But I, I think uh, we as a, a team, we did so well in this almost six years together. Another one moving on was Raheem Sterling, this time to Chelsea for £47.5 million. He spoke to Sky Sports about his reasons for leaving. Misunderstandings, contracts running down. You know, I said it was a shame to see how it ended in the end because I had such a, a great time there. As a player, I wanted to, to do your best, help your team, and then, you know, when you don't think things are going fairly, it's always a, a disappointing one. But it's one that, as I said, I was always up for a challenge and um, I always tried to make, make, make sure myself was ready. When you, you know, put, you play your heart out week in, sacrifice, you know, some of your kids' birthdays and stuff like this, and then to get um, treated in, in a certain way, it's, it's, it's disappointing. But as I said, it's not one that. I'll sit here and complain, you just move on and get on with it. And after Sterling said his goodbyes, so did Alexander Zinchenko. The popular midfielder turned fullback was joining Gabriel Jesus at Arsenal for a fee of around 30 million. I was not ready, to be honest, uh, for this day. And especially when I did speech to, to the last to the team. It's been an unbelievable time, unbelievable five seasons, but still I feel like I was a small part of this amazing club and uh, I'm so grateful to everyone who, who has done a lot of things to me and to my family. It's a sad day, but 
this is life, you have to carry on and uh, I wish Manchester City all the best. It was already beginning to be one of the biggest summers of change with more high profile outgoings than usual. But things began to slow down and the deal for Kukurea never got over the line. City refused to pay Brighton's demands, so he moved to Chelsea instead. However, City brought in Sergio Gomez from Anderlecht. He was initially meant to be a development signing, but with only Joao Cancelo and Kyle Walker as wide defenders in the squad, the club opted to keep him around. Then, days before the deadline, news broke of one more incoming signing. Manuel Akanji from Borussia Dortmund for around £15 million. He came a little bit out of nowhere in the, in the last couple of days, but Man City asked, uh, asked me if I wanted to come here. There. I, have, I had no doubts and I knew last year when I was at Dortmund that I wanted to make a next step, that I want to, to get better and to make this step here to, to Manchester City with Pep Guardiola as a coach, I think it can't can get any better. So yeah, the, the combination of the, the, the coach with the club is perfect for me here and I'm really looking forward to work with everybody here. That move concluded one of the busiest summers of transfers City have had in a long time. Five senior players left, five new faces arrived and it might feel a bit discomforting for fans that there's been such upheaval. But sometimes a big shake-up is needed to keep everybody on their toes. Despite some very high-profile signings, City have actually ended the transfer window with around £50 million of profit as well. No club in the Premier League has received more money for players this summer than City, while Chelsea, United, West Ham, Spurs and Nottingham Forest have all spent more. It's probably fair to say that the new look squad hasn't hit the ground running with a few performances, but a couple of the new boys have already given an exciting glimpse of what they can do to influence games. It's certainly going to be interesting to see how they develop over the months to next May. Hi there, this is Joe Royal speaking. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast carry on doing so this is the blue moon podcast listen to it drink it in that was sam roscoe looking back at the transfer window um jack why why do you think things were given such a big reboot this summer because it, it has been like one of the biggest for a while uh, well it was one that he wanted like the summer before but uh wasn't able to get um, I just think he f- he felt it needed a bit of a, a bit of a refresh, and I think what was the f- the phrase he used last year it was sh- shake a move. I think um, on sort of getting players out and bringing some in. I think the his view is that you will when a team is this good and has been this successful for so long that there's not a lot he can do to keep the players motivated. The best the best thing is to bring in new characters that freshen up the dressing room, and that's exactly what they've done. Um, this time, not really with the signings later in the window with Gomez and Akanji, but I think with Haaland, Phillips, um, and Alvarez has, has definitely done that. And the other thing was that it was the right time for some of the players to leave. Yeah, um, I think there was an acceptance on from City side and on the players that it was probably the correct moment to to part ways, and they've done really well to get the get the money they've they've got for um, Sterling, Zinchenko, and, and Jesus. And it's probably just everything fell into fell into place quite nicely for them, really. 
Yeah, I was going to say in in terms of this, Will, um, like a couple of the players leaving in in Jesus and Sterling, you kind of feel well, like I, that is it, it. It felt on the cards this summer. Um, Zinchenko, I'm starting to wonder, maybe not because of the situation at fullback. But we'll come to that a bit later on. Um, and I, and I just kind of wonder sometimes is a reboot a bad thing? Given that, like sometimes you need to keep people on the toes. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, if you look at Liverpool at the moment that haven't done much business over a number of years, that they are struggling and they look you know, pretty demotivated at times last night. It does it's say it keeps people on the toes. It keeps things fresh. You know, the challenge to integrate people, the challenge for Calvin Phillips to step up. You know, let's be honest, Calvin Phillips is a very good player, but he spent last season in a relegation battle. It's a completely different mindset to bring people in. Um and to change to change the mindset as well as their style that they are part of a winning dressing room, you know, with people like Phillips, you know, you go two 0 down against Crystal Palace, they've got to know that you know they can turn things around. Whereas at Leeds, no offence, they've probably accepted they were dead and buried, and yeah, new faces are needed, you know, everywhere, and to for the fans to get you know new faces is what they want really. I know they'll be disappointed with certain players that they liked leaving, but if you ever look at Twitter when someone's vaguely mentioned they might come to your club, the excitement of fan Twitter really is, yeah, there's as much as I can take within football. Um, that yeah, people people are desperate for this sort of thing, the football manager era of fans. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's perfectly well needed. Any concerns, though, Will, about it being Arsenal and Chelsea, that, that city of strength? And I mean, Chelsea may be less so given their start to the season, but Arsenal have, uh, have started pretty well. Uh, there's always the chance that you go to strengthen teams, but they're the only teams that can pay you the money you know, required to balance the books or however you want to look at it. Um, and I think Guardiola probably likes the challenge and to a certain extent probably likes the fact to show that the players he feels weren't required of, you know, changing Arsenal massively. And Arteta said, and I was going back to what I was saying about mentality, that Jesus brings a winning mentality. And Guardiola's pr- probably pretty proud of what he's done with Jesus and shown that he's turned a player that came from Brazil into a leading Premier League number nine. And if it, if it helps Arsenal challenge, you'll be say, fair enough. So we, we need to get better. He needs to say to... You know, the likes of Alvarez, the likes of Phillips, that I brought you in to replace these people. You need to step up and show you're as good as a team that have, you know, that won the first five games of the season, whatever it was at Arsenal. And that's just, you know, it's the nature of football, as I say. You can't, you can't sell players at City to many clubs if you want decent money. You can sell the youth team to Southampton, that's fine, but £45 <laughs> million pound players, there's not many clubs in world football that can do it. You know, even Barcelona and Real Madrid are their finances aren't as good as they once were. The fact that the, the fact they've let the players go to to Arsenal and Chelsea just shows how confident they are in themselves and how far City have come over the last few years that they just, you know, they're not bothered, are they? You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. 
you can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statscity.co.uk and browse away. That's statscity.co.uk. Email the show through our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Well, I'm just going to ask in terms of, of shape of the of the squad now, Jack. Um, obviously, only two senior fullbacks there. Gomez has come in and, and uh, he was originally supposed to be a developmental signing and he's now going to kind of help out when he needs to. Um, have they left themselves light in any areas or is is the balance maybe the same as it was last season, but but slightly a, a different shape, if that makes sense? Well, they're, they're, light, they're lighter at fullback because Zinchenko at the moment, is a better option than Gomez. Um, purely because he's he'd been at the club for a long time and knew exactly what he was supposed to do. So uh, do they, are they going to trust Gomez in in the more important games? Probably not. Walker, so that means that Walker doesn't have any competition on the right-hand side because Cancelo's playing on the left. Walker's always been better when he's had competition. Um so they do. I, th- I think they need another fullback, and the talk is that they might go and get, might go and spend a bit of money on a fullback in in January. So we'll see how that how that pans out. That's unusual, though. They don't normally do any January business. Um, no, but the summer transfer window defensively didn't go quite as planned, did it? I think they were expecting, in a much similar way to Kane last summer, I think they were expecting Brighton to buckle with the valuation and they were going to get Cucurella. And then when that wasn't, when that didn't happen, there didn't seem to be, there didn't seem to be a, a, a fallback option that they thought was as good as him. So they decided against doing anything major. Um, I mean, they've done it. They've, they've signed players in January in the past, haven't they? Laporte being the biggest example. Yeah, completely forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, they've also, I mean, in terms of uh, kind of money received, Jack, I think, um, I can't remember if it was you or Will before that they that mentioned that they, they'd done well to get some of the fees that they've got. Um, it's it's kind of, it's unprecedented really that City get fees for players. Normally they, they let them go for, for peanuts and, and kind of we all sit here going, how have they only got this amount of money for, for this player? They've done really well with the selling this summer, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, there's two things to that. Uh, the first one is that it is the changing face of the club now. That City is is a club that's evolving, and they can demand the fees for these for these players now, um, which is important for them to balance the books. It means they can go out and spend hundred million on Jack Grealish, or you know, hundred million pounds on the next centre midfield or next summer or whatever. The second thing is that the players that they sold this summer were of a resale age which is slightly unusual for City. Normally, you know, the bigger players... Yeah, David Silva, Vincent Aguero, they're not, they yeah. were, yeah, they were older, yeah. And they, they become sort of over 30 when they get sold. I mean, you you look at, uh, argument's sake, Mares or Gundogan, um, they're not going to get massive fees or any fees for both of those because of their age. Um, but if they were, if if they wanted to go five and they were mid twenties, they'd get sixty, seventy, eighty million for both of them, wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. 
Right, so it's time now to look ahead to uh, the coming games. We've got Spurs and Dortmund on the horizon. Let's bring in Jack from the Rule the Roost podcast. Hi, Jack. Hello, mate. How are you doing? Good Not to see too bad, you. thanks. We've got we've got an immediate problem that we've got two Jacks and none of us can see each other. So uh, I think we will we'll have to refer to you as Spurs Jack for the uh, entirety of this, if that's all right. <laughs> yeah, I can take that. I can take that. I also answer to Jack the first. Jack, Jack the first. Okay, yeah. well, maybe also, maybe we'll do it that way around. Yeah. Also, me, me and Gorner used to live together in Hackney, so we're, we're basically North East London experts. <laughs> yeah. So let's uh, let's get into it all then, um, uh, because Spurs, Jack, you keep winning these games. Uh, so what's the big secret? I have no idea. It's it's quite ironic, really, that sort of the one team that we seem to rattle, given the amount of teams that rattle us. Uh, the one team that we seem to rattle is the best in the country. So, you know, I, I can live with that as a Spurs fan. But, um, yeah, I don't know. You, you, the only way I can see it from the outside is that we just seem to be in your heads, really, for yeah. the most part. There's There's been a lot of talk, uh, or we've just talked about, about City's transfer window. Uh, yours seem pretty good looking from the outside in. How, how did it go? Yeah, delighted. I, th- I think we've, I mean... The, the the biggest point that's been made about Tottenham's transfer window is that really what we've done is kind of raise our floor as opposed to trying to push our ceiling up with kind of a big, ridiculous marquee signing. We've already got players like Son, players like Harry Kane, Kulisevsky, who we added last year, who has performed to a level that I don't think anybody thought he would. Um, Christian Romero in there as well. But by having making these kind of smart acquisitions, bringing in the likes of Perisic, somebody a seasoned older head that's been there, done it, can kind of pass his experience on to some of the more junior members of the squad. A player like Richarlison, we've seen, we kind of, we're acting in the way that you have done or somebody like, sorry to say, United have done in the past where we've identified Richarlison as the best player in a team on the sort of tier below us and taken him and added him to our squad. A lot of people said at first, kind of, why are they, why are they wasting money on a player like Richarlison when they've got Son and Kane? But we're already seeing the effect he's having He's, he's having on the squad, on the team, his kind of his drive, his determination and his skill, his ability, everything that he's brought in is uh, is great. So it's yeah, it's looking pretty rosy. We, we've seen as well. We added a uh, Basuma in there into midfield. He's not really kind of bedded in so much yet, but, you know, it's a pretty crucial part of, of Conte's team, of Conte's system. He's only just started playing Longley, who we signed on loan from Barcelona as well in place of Ben Davies. I think obviously the the bedrock of Conte's system is the defense, right? It's defense, the defensive unit, um, and it's it's going to be very hard for him to just kind of drop somebody like Basuma into that, taking the place of Bentancur or Hoybia, who he's as he as he keeps referring to, he's worked with for months now for for a season and a half or so. Yeah, um, well, we, I mean, City have only won two of the last seven against Spurs. Um, why does it keep happening? Why why does City keep failing to turn up? I think because, well, in recent times, um, Conte's you know one of the great pragmatists um, when it comes to stopping teams, which which helps, which helps helps Spurs last season. Um, but yeah, maybe it is a mental block. I don't know. I, th- I think Spurs never really go at City as other teams do, and they're very good on the counter. And City, as you know, discussing before, there are weaknesses at the back for City and they just they can you know they can make the most of those I was at uh, Forest against Spurs recently and Spurs just sat back and back and back knowing that Forest admittedly not good enough to break them down but they could do them on the break quite easily and you know City have issues with with a lack of pace at times at the back and players being caught out of position so yeah I think 
Spurs' style, you know, works against City's weaknesses, which is a good help. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see on Saturday. Kane does a lot more, you know, dropping deep as he was doing at Forest to to help uh, Kulisevsky and Son. It was starting that day to 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 do City on the wings. Um, yeah, it'll be it'll be an interesting one. And as I say, City, hopefully, maybe the mental block with this squad refresh might have uh, might have might have been lost somewhere over the summer. Yeah, Jack the first. Um, <laughs> given given City's start to the season, kind of performance wise at times, uh, this is one that I think a lot of us are feeling a bit wary about. Yeah, well, rightly so because history tells you that Spurs is one of the trickiest games they uh, they endure under under Pep. I think I don't know. Is it Spurs or Palace that have taken the most points off them over the last six years? It's one probably of the both. two. Yeah, probably both. I just sort of echoing what will. We're saying really, like they they play in a very similar way to Palace, but they have better players on the counter attack and they're more ruthless. And thinking back to that that game last season at the Etihad, I think Kane's Kane's performance that day was probably one of the best individual performances I've ever seen in the Premier League. I thought it was just absolutely amazing in what what he did. But he acted, he basically acted as a link up player, and then Kulisevsky who. I'd never seen play before that night. Uh, I don't know whether it's his debut or not. It's certainly one of his first games. Um, I was like, my God, they've got a, they've got a proper player here. Um, so it's just the way it's the way they set up. It's the, it's the history of the fixture as well, and that killer instinct that they've got. Does it? Does the history like the history of the fixture? Does that affect Guardiola? Do you think? Does he? Does he? Does Probably, that get into his head? <laughs> Probably. Mm, Maybe subconsciously. Um, obviously, we, the only things we as reporters know about Guardiola is what he tells us, uh, and maybe he's not telling us the truth. So he's sort of left guessing sometimes. I certainly think it it does play a part with players because um, you you you've only got past experience to go off, haven't you, against yeah. these teams? And I think it does definitely. That's a, I think that's the sort of thing that would obsess a player more than a manager. Yeah. The the previous results. Yeah. Um, Spurs, Jack, uh, in terms of uh, this season and, and given the early season form, these are the only two unbeaten teams now in the Premier League. Um, what what's, what 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 should Spurs' ambition for this season be, do you think, given given how it started and given the, the improvements you've made to the squad? You're going to laugh at me, but uh, Spurs should be aiming to try and win the league. That's and the the reason why I say this. I'm not saying that we we are definitely going to do that, or that we are somehow a better team than you or than Liverpool or anything like that. But we've hired Antonio Conte, one of the best managers in world football. Um, and I say that as somebody who, being brutally honest, isn't a massive fan of his and wasn't a massive fan of us bringing him in. But I can see kind of objectively that he is a great manager. The effect he's had on the team is remarkable. We've got Harry Kane now for a year and a half. That's when his contract goes. Um, At which point, who knows what happens if he'll sign a new one. I personally can't see him signing a new one, but who knows? Hummin Son is on the decline, but there's still a world-class player in there. Well, he's he's yet to score this season, so that's obviously happening this weekend. Well, exactly. And Hugo Lloris as well is a similar contract situation to Harry Kane and also... He's a bit further along in his career, so we've you know we've got we've got a lot of kind of components at the moment. Um, 
a lot of things going our way that I just kind of feel that, you know, it's, it's sort of now or never, or, you know, at least not for another good kind of decade and a half or so, I would imagine. Um, with Newcastle kind of ever getting stronger, who knows where Arsenal's peak lies. It's it's the Premier League's getting tougher and tougher, right? We know this. It's it's kind of trite stuff, but Spurs have got they've got to aim for aim for one of the big ones. And Conte, he's he's pretty bullish when he talks about this type of stuff. And you see kind of a lot of the players talk about what Conte demands of them, and he he wants them to be up there trying to trying to win the big stuff. I mean. He he will backtrack every now and again when it comes to like talk of transfer windows and how happy he's been or not with the spending that we've put into the club. Um, I don't think he ever wants to give the club a break, the the powers that be at the top. He wants to kind of press the point that we need to keep spending, we need to keep investing into the playing staff. Um, but I think just from... From the the whole kind of narrative around the club and everything like that, from people I speak to who are in and around, as the saying goes, the club, um, the feeling is very much there that they are really aiming to try and do something big this year. Yeah. Um, Will, for for City, um, I'm wondering how much of this game is a question of the fullbacks because uh, Walker, obviously, not sure if he's going to be fit, doesn't look likely. Um do you stick with Gomez and, and and have Cancelo on the right hand side, or do you do you look at, at bringing someone like Ake in on the le- on on the left? I I, I really I, how how do you think Guardiola should approach this to stop those counters? I think with Gomez playing midweek, he's probably going to play. I'd be surprised if they give it to Ake purely because he's relatively quick. Um, I think Guardiola does like a little. A little bit of a testing of a new player. And I know he says, and he said, as previously discussed, that he was coming in as a sort of, you know, project almost. Um, but he, he does like putting a player in and seeing if they sink or swim. And I think he'll quite fancy that. You know, he's, he looks quick enough that he can hopefully cope with Kulisewski, who I assume will play down the right. Um, but yeah, I, you know, obviously his walker is fit. He will play because he plays all the big games. Um, but yeah, I think he'll probably go with Gomez, and yeah, it'll be. I don't think he'll go with Stones. Um, so yeah, he might go with Aki on the inside of of Gomez to help him, and then Diaz on the other side um, at the right centre back. But it'll be interesting to see. I was going to say, Jack, go on. Well, there, I'm sorry, is... could I just? What has John Stones done to upset Unwin? Oh, I just don't <laughs> think he's very good. Well, I don't think he's had a good start season, and I think he, he's one of those players, as we found out before, that. When he's on a bad run, he just looks really bad. His decision making is poor, and I think he's, I think that he's at that stage where he was when Guardiola dropped in last time. It's funny that I think, he's I, th- I think he's been carrying Diaz. I thought he's had a good start as well, but I didn't want to be the one that said it. <laughs> I don't mind. Right. I really don't mind. Well, okay. Um, Jack Gordon, in terms of uh, the back four, though, I, the other option I thought was maybe um, if Walker isn't fit and and you want to have Cancelo on the left, you could play Stones on the right hand side. Yeah, and I think we're going to see more of that this year. I think he's going to play right back more often. Uh, he could, yeah, they could do. I just sort of gets done. Stones get, does get done positionally, doesn't he? When he plays right back, um, I would be amazed if Walker's fit. It didn't sound like he was going to be fit for the weekend um, the other day. I, I think it'll be Cancelo, Diaz, Stones, and Ake. I think the reason Ake didn't play midweek is because he's going to play Saturday. Yeah. 
This is the Blue Moon Podcast, and we're very sorry about that. Spurs, Jack, in terms of uh, coming to the Etihad, because, we, I mean, we've talked about having, you know, a, a good record against City and and, uh, and all that sort of thing. Um, a City a different prospect to face now that they've got Haaland, who seems to bag every week. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, right? I uh, Partly wishful thinking, partly kind of seeing the, how Jaden Sancho had taken to the Premier League. I was one of those, I sort of had a sneaking suspicion. I thought he was going to be good, Haaland. I was thinking he's going to be, you know, maybe good for... 15 Premier League goals when people were talking about him kind of, you know, oh, he's going to come and score 50 Premier League goals. I think, yeah, maybe more like 15. But yeah, I mean, he's he's soon kind of shut me up. And I mean, one of the <laughs> things that you're kind of seeing now already is people being like, well, he's only scoring within the six-yard box. But whatever he's doing, he's scoring goals. He's getting in that position. And it's, it's, it's the same kind of stuff people have said about Harry Kane for years. Oh, all he does is score penalties and tappings, but he scores loads of them and that's all that matters really at the end of the day. So, yeah, I mean, you are, <laughs> he's just, he's a bit of a force of nature, isn't he, Harland? You can you can see, I mean, I'm sure you can have uh, every plan in place um, from whatever tapes you've watched of him to try and combat that. But at the end of the day, if he, if he shows up and fancies it, then it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a tussle. But, you know, we got Christian Romero there who's, a pretty wily character himself. He's kind of shown himself to be of a real genuine quality. He's had, he's had a couple of sloppy little moments the past couple of games, but um, he's aggressive. He's quick. He's strong. I'm uh, like, if I was a neutral, I would say I, I would be really looking forward to sort of the battle between those two that's that's coming up this weekend because yeah. I think it could be it could be pretty decent. How, how do you think Conte is going to approach the game? Um, are we are we going to see the, uh, effectively the same game plan as last season and, and just frustrate City and then be lethal on the on the counter? Most likely, yeah. I mean, we've we've kind of it's been a it's been a funny one for Spurs this year because we've seen us stick with the the Conte system five at the back with those two in midfield, generally Hoybier and Bentancur for the most part. Um, but a lot of teams this year seem to be. <sighs> We, we we say wising up to it. They put a lot of pressure on us, but still, if you look at Spurs' record, we've not conceded many goals. We're undefeated so far this year. We've we've got the same record as you, basically. Um, we just seem to be quietly going about getting our business done. It's not looking particularly emphatic going forwards. The let's just say the, the the synchronicity of the forward three hasn't been great so far. Son's just not showed up this season at all. Um, there's been sort of glimpses of him looking all right. We saw a bit against Fulham the other day, but even against Marseille last night in the Champions League, he, I don't know, it's, it's kind of getting to that point where we're going to need to maybe have an awkward conversation about Son and whether or not he actually does kind of make way for Richarlison so it can be, you know, Richarlison, Kulisevsky and Kane up front. But at the moment, it seems to be that Conte is really trying to play Son through this because he knows the player that we saw last year and the player that's in there that we are hoping is just kind of one of his streakier moments. My only fear, and, and this is this is a topic of much conversation between Spurs fans at the moment, my only fear is even when Son's kind of had down patches before, I personally can't recall ever seeing him look as bad as he looks right now. Um, so whether or not it's that he is just on the decline now, maybe that was his peak last year, winning the Golden Boot, fantastic season. Um, and it's just caught up with him. You know, we're seeing a, maybe a similar thing with Salah. 
two very dynamic, very kind of agile, quick players that rely on that that kind of explosivity that they both possess. But time catches up with everybody, right? Um, and they're both they're both great players. I mean, I don't really need to talk about Salah anymore. But in Son, he's got a great footballing brain. He is somebody that I back to adapt his game. But within this system, the way we play at the moment, I don't know. Who knows? But this yeah. might be all preemptive. You know, he might go up to the Etihad, hopefully, and do what he normally does against you, which is... Yeah, if he could leave yeah. it for another weekend, that would yeah. uh, that, that, <laughs> Night, Nightmare fuel for you. Yeah. Um, before we let you go, Jack, let's have a, a score prediction for the game. The charity bet's up a bit later on in the show, and uh, I'll, I, I'm going to give my prediction over to you. What are you going for? Well, I, I, I've been, f- like, veering between 3-1 to City or 2-1 to Spurs, and I'm going to be I'm going to be optimistic. Um because I want, I want us to catch Arsenal, and I, I, I don't, I don't trust you. Like I don't know, Pep and Pep and Arteta are maybe in Legion or something like that. He's going to let <laughs> you're going to let Arsenal have a year this year. So uh, yeah. Two one to Spurs. That was Jack from the Ruler Roost podcast. Um, let's get a view of the Dortmund side of things going into that game in midweek. We spoke to Stefan Butzko on last week's show about the new signing Manuel Akanji. I've been speaking to him again this week to get his thoughts on Dortmund's start to the season ahead of the midweek game. I would say it was an outstanding performance against Copenhagen. Borussia Dortmund did really well to a control the game to uh, not allow many chances. I think one after a set piece. And uh, yeah, be very mature, uh, you know, as you would expect from a Champions League side like Borussia Dortmund, who have uh, have a lot of veterans on their team, like Marco Reus. Uh, a lot of City fans might still remember him uh, scoring at the uh, Etihad, is it called? Uh, yeah, right? the Etihad. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's uh, pre- pretty much how Dortmund are right now. The only problem is that they have a barrage of injury problems already. And uh I think yesterday uh, with Togen Hazard coming off after 20 minutes, uh, it was seven players that are out. And uh, yeah, Dortmund are stretched a little bit thin and that might, of course, uh, have an effect on their performance level and it might drop off any any moment just because the legs might get tired. Yeah, it's uh, obviously a, a trip to Manchester. It's been, um, I mean, uh, uh, the previous time that you, that uh, that Dortmund came to, to Manchester, I I. I Guessing you'd count yourselves a little bit unlucky with the way that uh, the Bellingham goal was uh, was disallowed and the the way the game kind of uh, kind of went that way the first time years and years ago you know you absolutely battered City it, it feels like a like 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 a tie that that Dortmund certainly won't be afraid of if you know what I mean no uh, I don't think Dortmund are very scared of Manchester City just because of uh, what transpired a couple of seasons ago. It was the same coach, Edin Terzic. In between, there was Marco Rose, who, of course, did not enjoy much European success because uh, Dortmund were terrible <laughs> in the UEFA uh, Champions League group stage and then crashed out uh, yeah, against Rangers. And it was very pathetic overall. Um, but uh, yeah, under the new coach, they're currently finding their groove. Um, I actually had to rewatch the game yesterday again just because I wanted to because I was so excited about Dortmund playing uh, some cohesive football again and having an identity in the brand of football it's it's all very new for me <laughs> and uh that that is had by uh, a couple of new signings uh, in in midfield next to Jude Bellingham Dortmund now have Charlie Oshan who came for 5 million from Cologne and uh is a true number 6 and uh, something that Dortmund really uh, needed and uh, what also is helping them are their two new center back signings Niklas Süle from FC Bayern and Nico Schlotterbeck from SC Freiburg because they are both uh, very good centre-backs, very good defenders, but they are also very uh, 
calm and collected on the ball and both like to move forward uh, if the opportunity presents himself to dribble forward and keep possession and uh, obviously it's going to be a little bit different against Manchester City than <laughs> playing against Copenhagen I'm sure however uh, it's it's good to to have this kind of um, talent in your team if you want to retain possession against a team that is uh, playing as aggressively as Manchester City are and uh, Niklas Zulu of course is uh, very experienced has won the Champions League before with Bayern Munich so um, I, I hope that he can stop Erling Haaland a little bit, but uh, my hopes on that are not very high because everyone in Dortmund <laughs> knows exactly what uh, Haaland is capable of. And I, I'm, I'm watching Manchester City recently quite often because uh, Kevin De Bruyne is one of my absolute favorite players in the world. And uh, him and De Bruyne is probably the most unfair duo right now. Uh, in European football. So my hopes for <laughs> Dortmund having any success uh, away to Manchester this time are not very high. I'm frank about that. Yeah, I mean, we'll come on to the Haaland in a second, but let's, I mean, I, I want to stick with the identity first off because um, you, you talked about being being glad to see a Dortmund side with an identity again. What is that identity for this season? How are they, how are they trying to play? Well, they are not trying to play very possession-heavy. They are... Uh, Basically, trying to counter press very uh, much and then try to uh, transi transition quickly. So it actually is a bit reminiscent of uh, the best uh, years under Jurgen Klopp right now. And I think it's the uh, idea that Edin Tessic, the Dortmund coach, has uh, anyway. Edin Tessic, of course, is a longtime Borussia Dortmund fan before he turned coach, and he came up through the ranks at Borussia Dortmund. I think he started as a head as a scout. And he came through the ranks under Jurgen Klopp, actually. So, um, yeah, it's, it's it's that sort of brand. So <laughs> I'm very intrigued to see how Dortmund uh, will fare against the Pep Guardiola side because uh, right now they have managed to mold a team where literally everyone is uh, working very hard and pressing. And that is, of course, uh, the first thing that needs to happen and uh, recently was sort of Dortmund's downfall because there were always a couple of players that were dragging their feet and not um, closing down opponents quickly enough. And then the whole system sort of collapsed. And uh, right now they are uh, really playing as a unit with cohesion. And uh, yeah, that is uh, sort of their identity. But obviously they can also step on the ball and, and keep it for a minute if they must or want to. I'm not entirely sure how that works against Manchester City, but against most other teams in the Bundesliga, it works fine. Yeah, be, yeah, certainly be interesting to see. Um, so let's talk Harlan then, because uh, what's the what what are the feelings like amongst uh, Dortmund fans right now about uh, about about meeting him again so soon? Well, uh, it, it's funny, isn't it? That it was scripted like that. Also, I'm very much looking forward to Lewandowski meeting uh, FC Bayern again. But uh, yeah, I, I well, there are no hard feelings toward Harland. Uh, I think people are happy to. See him again in, in some sense, but uh, yeah, I, I also have seen a couple of Dortmund fans hoping that he might pick one of his classic muscular injuries for the ties against Dortmund. Yeah, just to uh, just to avoid uh, the uh, the old reunion because uh, I mean it, it's it, it's funny that we always say uh, that returning players always score, but it also seems that Haaland always scores as well. So it just kind of seems even doubly nailed on, doesn't it? Yeah, well, he always scores anyway. Yeah. Um, who are the players that have uh, have really stood out for Dortmund this season? Who's been performing well? 
Well, I think uh, Marco Reus, the team captain, um, has done extremely well. Uh, surprisingly, Julian Brandt, uh, another offensive midfielder, is doing quite well. Um, Jude Bellingham, obviously, is uh, one of the main attractions at Borussia Dortmund, and uh, especially with Özcan, uh, who didn't start the first few games in Dortmund because he had an injury. Um, now that he has a defensive-minded midfielder right behind him, uh, Bellingham is a bit more forward-minded, more in the number eight role. Um, and uh, I would predict that he might score again against Manchester City because uh, right now he has to make up a little bit for uh, the misfiring of Dortmund strikers. Uh, everyone probably has heard that uh, Sebastian Alea sadly had a testicular tumor and right now is receiving chemotherapy. And uh, yeah, he was in the stadium yesterday receiving a big cheer, obviously, but he cannot play so uh, Dortmund have signed Anthony Modest who is a 34 year old sort of stopgap striker from uh, Cologne um, it was a last minute deal if you will but uh, yeah he is still finding his feet and uh, Yusuf Mokoku who is uh, 18 years old is a highly rated talent but he is not quite on the level yet to really uh, you know bang in the goals left right and center so Dortmund are really struggling replacing uh, the, the Haaland goals if you will because Alea is unfortunately not available so they have to do it collectively but uh, currently they are really missing a lot of chances sort of that's their main issue they have uh, just kept three consecutive clean sheets but uh, two of those wins were one no wins where they arguably could have or should have won three or four nothing yeah is it is it defensive stability that's been been seeing Dortmund through at the moment yes it is it might be a humbling experience because the opponents that Dortmund have looked uh, defensively stable against recently uh, were also not the best teams in the world. And uh, obviously Dortmund, uh, <laughs> in between all of those uh, defensively great performances, had uh, five minutes of disaster recently against Werder Bremen where they were 2-0 ahead in the home match. And then in the final five minutes, uh, they lost 3-2, which actually was a record among the five top leagues it's just a collapse of epic proportions in like <laughs> 8,000 games that did not happen before. And then it happened to Dortmund, which was obviously very um, concerning and very comical, but also um, speaks to the fact that Dortmund do collapse here and there. So it's not like uh, they have the utmost fortitude. Yeah. Um, the, one other name that I, uh, that I want to ask about is uh, Giovanni Reyna, because uh, City fans might know him as the uh, the son of uh, Claudio Reyna. Um, how involved is he at the moment? Well, he just came on against Copenhagen for the... Well, he, he already had a little 10-minute cameo, but I hardly remember him doing anything there. But he played for 70-odd minutes yesterday, and uh, he grabbed two assists and uh, looked really, really good. But I do not know if he can already play against Manchester City or not, because Dortmund are very careful. Um, he was out since April and pretty much all last season with countless muscular injuries. And they're really trying to nurse him. The coach already said yesterday that uh, 70 minutes was already more than they uh, thought he could play. But uh, yeah, the injury crisis at Dortmund has hit them hard again because Jamie Bino gittens who you still might know, uh, came through Manchester City youth ranks, of course, and um, looks poised to be the next big thing after Jane Sancho as a as a very um, capable winger that uh, you know can take on anyone in a 1v1 duel. Um, sadly, popped out his shoulder joint and now will have to receive surgery and probably will miss the first half of the season. Same with uh, Mahmoud Dahoud, who's also another uh, number eight 
that Dortmund often rely on. He also is out with a shoulder injury for the long term. And of course, right back Matteo Moret, um, who has had a very decent time on Eden Tessic's first stint, also out right now. So Dortmund are uh, very much running around with a bare bones squad. And uh, yeah, new signing Karim Adeyemi is nursing a toe injury. He might play again this weekend against uh, Leipzig, but also not entirely sure. Same with Daniel Malen, who is nursing muscular problems, uh, another attacking midfielder. So it is quite problematic for Dortmund to uh, yeah, basically uh, make do with all these injuries because of the uh, very cramped schedule they have. Yeah, and uh, Leipzig uh, this weekend. I mean, uh, just in terms of uh, kind of domestic form, um, it's, it is only that uh, word of Bremen game that they've lost. Um, they've won everything else. How, how much of a challenge will Leipzig be ahead of this game? Well, obviously a big challenge <laughs> for, for several reasons because Leipzig are in absolute crisis mode right now. They have just sacked their coach, uh, Domenico Tedesco, and uh, they are about to rehire Marco Rose, who is, of course, Dortmund's ex-coach. <laughs> and uh, so the, there will the, be the quite... narratives here, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the narrative is right there. So there will be quite the drama. It's going to be the Marco Rose revenge game from all I know. And uh, Dortmund had in the past had a lot of games where they had to face sides that had just sacked their coaches and it doesn't always go so well there's sometimes the new coach effect that Dortmund then uh, suffer from so um, yeah Leipzig obviously is a very big opponent for Dortmund uh, just because Leipzig um, are also trying to be the second biggest team in Germany just financially because the Red Bull company is pumping endless sums of money into that uh, whole franchise if you will and um so, yeah, it's a big game for Dortmund. Also, they have a chance to uh, really beat Leipzig further down and uh, widen the gap to 10 points, which after six match days is not uh, insurmountable, but obviously already very nice cushion that Dortmund really uh, want to have. So, um, yeah, it's a big game for Dortmund that uh, they will not take any focus off in order to uh, yeah put more focus on the game against Manchester City. Yeah, and uh, just finally, Stefan, what uh, what can Dortmund achieve this season? Do you think what uh, what do you think the aims are for uh, for the season as a whole? Well, I think challenging Bayern is a little bit too much to ask from this still very much uh, growing team. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think uh, maybe a quarter final, maybe a semi final is on the cards for Dortmund because they really do have a good team together this uh, time around and. Uh, you know, the the more time they spend together, they the better they're playing. You can really feel it this season that uh, the improvement from game to game is really palpable. So um, I'm very positive right now, but <laughs> you know how it is in this sport. Uh, things can turn on a dime. Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. That was Stefan Butzko talking to us about Dortmund. Um, charity bet time. There was no wins on last week's show. Uh, so we're still on £120 for the season. We're collecting for the Man City fans food bank support group. We're also helping the Trussell Trust support people in food poverty in Manchester. They'll be outside the Etihad again under the bridge near Asda on Saturday from about three o'clock. So go and see them with a donation if you can. William Hill is giving each of us a £10 correct score single on City's games. We already heard from Jack earlier on in the show that he's gone for a 2-1 Spurs win. Uh, that's 22 to 1 and 220 pounds if he's right. Uh, Will, what are you having for this one? I've gone 3-1 City. Uh, 3-1 City is 10 to 1 and uh, 100 pounds if you're right. Jack? 
Uh, I wanted to go 3-1 City, but that was cruelly taken away from me, so I've gone 3-2 City instead. Someone's not doing the match report on Saturday. <laughs> yeah, 3-2 City is uh, 22-1 to 1 and £220 if you're Ooh. right. And that brings us on to Dortmund. Um, Jack, what are you having for this? Uh, 3-1 for this. I, finally I, like got, I should have got a, should get a three one in at some yeah, point. Finally got your three one. That's nine to one and ninety pounds if you're right. Will I wasn't allowed three one for this. So I went four nil. Four nil city is uh, eleven to one and uh, one hundred and ten pounds if you're right. Um, again, I wanted three one, but uh, that had already gone. So <laughs> I went for two one, which is seventeen to two and eighty five pounds if I'm right. Remember, you got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And take a look at begambleaware.org for more information on responsible gambling. And that brings us to an end for this week's Blue Moon podcast. I'm David Mooney. Thank you very much to Will and Win. Thanks everyone. And Jack Gaunt. Thank you very much, mate. Join me next week to review the games against Spurs and Dortmund. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. There is a big part of me that wonders, and um, I'm sure you'll both have a view on this, but I do remember at the time, the kind of post-match review of that was were Manchester City players to an extent showing their own displeasure with the fact that Ericsson was going? That is a question that I have been... I've spoken to a few players that played in that game and I have been trying to get to the bottom of. Um, generally, the players say they weren't, um, but I still can't decide if that is kind of like the professional answer, if you know what I mean. Um Certainly wasn't a professional performance. It wasn't a professional performance. Yeah, um, I mean, it's a, it's a rubbish way to keep a manager in his job, isn't it? She, l- l- let's do this with a gaffer. Let's lose eight <laughs> one. <laughs> I love on the commentary at three nil. Um, it goes that might be City and Sven finished off. It's like, oh, oh, we're just getting started. Um, you do question the veracity of the UEFA Fair Play League because after all you said there, that, and it's, I, I remember speaking to Richard Dunn about this that they had the team talk off hands back at Sven's assistant going. Don't do anything silly, lads. Try and avoid yellow cards and he gets red carded in no time. But yeah, so, so he got sent off. There's the fighting in the stands. City did still qualify for Europe through the Fair Play League and ended up playing, was it E.B. Straumer in the Faroe Islands a couple yeah, of weeks later? But the, yeah. the, be- the best bit about that is that they weren't expecting to play in Europe. So they booked Bon Jovi for a concert at, uh, at the City of <laughs> Manchester Stadium. And so the first leg, the home leg, had to be played at Barnsley because <laughs> they didn't have a stadium to play in. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And join us again next time for another episode. <laughs>